and the many appearances of Jesus mentioned there. And appreciate Aaron reading earlier from Luke 24. We'll add to that as we get our discussion started. We'll add this reading from Matthew 28, beginning in verse 1. Matthew 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. For fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there... Uh, they'll see me. You know, we could spend a lot of time on the resurrection of Jesus. There are many facts concerning the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, if you look over in Acts 1 and verse 3, the, the text simply says, Jesus presented himself alive after his suffering. He presented himself alive by many proofs by many proofs, I'm going to ask you to put on your detective hat this morning and notice just a few facts, a few facts surrounding the resurrection of Jesus with the intention of building our faith together uh, this morning. Just a few facts. These are not new to you, but they are good for our faith. Fact number one is this, Jesus actually died. Jesus actually died. You might want to be looking at John 19 for a second, but Jesus actually died. If we're going to have a resurrection, we first must have a clear and uh, plain death. And there was a death. Jesus actually died on the cross. In John 19, verse 33, you'll see that the soldiers come to break the legs of Jesus, and he was already dead. Underline that. He was dead already. The reason they were doing this, the Jews had asked Pilate to make this happen, to break the legs of the crucified victims so their bodies would not be hanging there on the next day, which was the Sabbath day. It's also uh, Passover time. And so they asked for the crucified victims to be able to go ahead and die. And in breaking their legs, they were sure their death. They broke the legs of one and then the other. They come to Jesus he was dead already. Now, the Roman soldiers knew, if nothing else, they knew about death. Okay? They were in the death business. They knew the difference between somebody sleeping and somebody dead. Somebody alive, somebody dead. Somebody being unconscious and somebody dead. They knew what they were doing. They came to Jesus, did not break his legs, which... That in itself, as you know, is a fulfillment of prophecy. But 
They did not break his legs because he was dead already. But one of the Roman soldiers did what? They took a spear and stuck it up into his side and came out, there came out blood and water. But let's get it plainly down in our minds. And this would have to be the first, one of the first facts in our investigation is to see that Jesus did actually die on the cross. If you're still there in John 19, notice that there's a fellow that's going to come to take care of the burial. His name is going to be Joseph of Arimathea, but also another fellow shows up. John 19.39, his name is Nicodemus. We've run into Nicodemus uh, before uh, in the life of Jesus. Nicodemus shows up. Notice Nicodemus shows up with 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe and spices. For what? And also, together, he and Joseph show up with some linen cloths. What are they about to do? They're going to get the body of Jesus ready uh, for burial. Okay. But why would Nicodemus show up with 75 pounds of myrrh, aloe, and spices if Jesus was not plainly dead. Jesus actually died. You don't show up with the means of death when someone's alive. This got a little humorous. I'll just share this with you in regard to my mother. My mother back this year, late January, early February, she made the decision that she was not going to be making any more trips to Birmingham. She was, she was not going to do any more treatment. She was going to let herself go off into the uh, hospice program. So one Friday evening, this, this little young fellow, maybe 35 years old, came from hospice, a nurse, and he comes, he sits down, and my mom is there at her table, and my brother and my sister is there and at the kitchen table, and and so he's got some forms to fill out, and he's got some questions to ask. And about his second or third question is this. He looked to my mom and said, now what funeral home will you be using? Okay. I wish you could have seen the look on my mom's face. Okay. She wasn't going on, into the hospice program in order to die next week. Okay. She... She had very much, and I'm going to tell you something, until about a week or so before she died, she very much had all of her mind and all of her spirit. Okay. And so having said that, can you imagine, and my mother is mostly Cherokee Indian, can you imagine the look that she gave that young man when his second or third question, bless his heart, okay, was, what funeral home are you going to be using? It's humorous because evidently he was just he just didn't have a lot of uh, a lot of relational uh, abilities within his soul at that point at this point, and so um, you, you don't talk about that kind of thing when someone's alive. You don't come out with the means of death when someone's alive. Okay, and my brother said it right. He said, "Mom, you want me to rough him up here or just take him outside and rough him up?" Mom said, take him outside. I don't want to look at him anymore. <laughs> Nicodemus shows up 
was 75 pounds, John 19:39 or so. Okay. This clearly shows that Jesus is indeed dead. Now, a little side note to this, it's interesting that the prophecy about Jesus' death and resurrection, one of those prophecies is Psalm 16, verse 10, that Peter refers to in his great sermon on the Pentecost of Acts 2, 25 to 27. Part of that prophecy is that the Holy One would not see corruption. Peter says there in Acts 2, 27, his flesh did not see corruption. If they had believed and known the prophecy, they would not have bothered with the spices. They would not have bothered with 75 pounds of aloe and, and myrrh because they would have known that Jesus' flesh was not going to see corruption. It was going to be a very special, unique, incredible, miraculous event. And on the third day, he would come back from the dead. For fact number one, Jesus actually died. Fact number two, everybody knew where he was buried. Everybody knew where he was buried. I say everybody in a general sense, but it was well known. The, the burial place was well known. Okay. We know this because of the man who was in charge of the burial, Joseph of Arimathea. Okay. And if you look at your passages, either from Luke 23 or, or you know, John 19 or Matthew uh, 23, you'll see that Joseph was well known. He was, he was actually a, a member of the council of the Jews, the Sanhedrin. Okay? But he had not consented to the death of Jesus. In fact, he was a disciple of Jesus himself. But he was, he's noted here in these passages as a good and righteous person. He's respected all the way around. Okay? The Jewish community, respect, community respected him. The disciples of Jesus respected him. He was a, a tremendous man to be in charge, and he knew exactly where the tomb was located. It was his tomb, and if you knew Joseph, then you would know where the tomb is located. And if you didn't know where it was located, he could gladly tell you, he and Nicodemus both, and the women knew where the tomb was. The Jewish officials knew where the tomb was. The Roman officials knew where the tomb was. It was in, out in plain sight. In fact, notice how close at hand the tomb is. John 19, again, I'm going to be right here in verses 40 to 42 here in John 19. You know, growing up, I sang the song just like we sing it now, on a hill far away. In my mind, I'm thinking, you know, way out somewhere in the country, Jesus was crucified and buried, but not so much, not according to to this reading, okay, at least it seems to be, notice, notice in John 19, verse 41. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparations, since the tomb was close by, close at hand, they laid Jesus there. So, you see, it was close by. The, the burial place was known because of Joseph and Nicodemus, but also it was close by. Okay, it, there, there's where he was crucified, and then not too far from there is where he was buried. Okay. And also, this burial 
place was very secure. It became secure because, remember in your, in your knowledge here in Matthew 27, uh, verses 62 to 66, that, you know, after they had gotten Jesus uh, crucified, the, these Jews, I tell you what, do a case study, some kind of psychological case study on these Jews because they, they just want, they're just not finished. Notice here in Matthew 27, 62 to 66, they came, uh, the Pharisees did, and the chief priests, uh, they came uh, to, to, uh, to Pilate and said, Sir, you know, remember that this imposter said that after three days he will rise. He said, uh, we'd like for you to order the, that the tomb be made secure until the third day at least, lest his disciples go and say, steal him away and then tell the people he has risen from the dead and the worst, and, and this fraud will be worse than the first. And the pilot said to them, verse 65, you have a guard. You have a guard. In other words, take all these soldiers with you. Go make it as secure as you can. And they went and they made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting up a guard. Some say as many as 15 or 16 guards would be out there at the tomb. So you see, the burial place was well known. That's fact number two, well known. If you were going to fabricate a story, if you were going to try to create a story that's not true but make people think it's going to be true, then in these days you would not have chosen Jerusalem as the burial place. You would not have chosen for your, for your crucified victim to be buried near Jerusalem at this time of the year. This is Passover time. This is Pentecost time. There are more, there are thousands of people. There are more people in the area of Jerusalem now than any other time of the year. You would not have chosen this particular place and time of the year to try. If you're going to try to pull something over, which of course this is just true history, but if you're going to try to fabricate something, you would not have chosen this as the burial place. Fact number two, Jesus was buried in a place that was well known. Everybody knew where he was buried. Fact number three is this. The tomb was found empty on the first day of the week. That's fact three. We know this. It's reported by everybody who was involved that the tomb was empty. No matter where you were in those days, as far as your concern about Jesus, your belief in Jesus, no matter where you were, nobody came forth and said, well, the body is in the tomb. Nobody could say that. It was no longer there. Okay. The women report that it's not there. The angels report and say, he's not here. He has risen. Okay. He's not here. Come see the place where he lay. The angels report. Okay. The guards come back and report to the chief priest that his body is not there. They report that the body is not there. The chief priest believed it so to where they had a meeting about it. Okay. Everybody, everybody. Peter and John go and investigate. They go inside the tomb themselves. They see nothing there but the grave clothes. He is not there. The tomb is empty. It's interesting that as you read these accounts of Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, and John 20, the, the women are coming there on the, early on the first day of the week, and they're bringing their spices, you see. They're bringing their spices because they're going to somehow get somebody to help roll away that stone in their mind 
And they're going to further help the body of Jesus be prepared for, for, uh, for burial. Okay. You see, they were not expecting... They were not expecting the tomb to be empty. They were fully expecting for Jesus' body to be there. And they get there and they find angels. They find the, the, the stone rolled away. They find the tomb is empty. They find angels there and they're explaining that the tomb is empty. Now, the main issue here is not just that the tomb is empty, but how did it get empty? And there's only really three options, aren't there? Either his friends took the body or the enemies took the body or actually it is as it is that God raised Jesus from the dead. But what about the friends of Jesus? What about the disciples of Jesus? Did they, did they take the body? I don't think they were in any, any mood to take the body of Jesus. But they were also, you know, Jesus didn't choose them because they were military fellows. These were fishermen. These were common men. Even when Peter got out his sword and cut off Malchus's ear, Jesus told him, put up your sword. Those that take the sword shall perish by the sword. You know, these were not men neither in the mood, nor did they have the means to overtake 16 to 18 soldiers who had been sent there by Pilate to guard the tomb. And the enemies of Jesus would not have taken the body and made the tomb empty. Because if they'd had the body, then they could have just stopped Christianity in its tracks right then. They could have brought the body out. Okay? They could have brought the body out on the fourth day. They could have brought it out. We'd be, the world would be remembering. Instead of the third day, the world would be remembering the fourth day. They could have brought the body out on the fourth day. And they could have just made this, this Christ business go, go right away. But of course, that's not what, what happened. I love to focus on the words of the angels at the tomb. They say, we know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Don't you remember the words that he spoke while he was yet alive? They say to the women, why do you seek the living among the dead? That's an that's a remarkable question for all of us to consider. Why do you conceit the, the living among the dead? He is not here. Come see an invitation from God himself. Come see the place where the Lord lay. He is not here because he promised he would be back from the dead. Soon was found empty on the first day. And then the, the fourth fact is that there were numerous eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. That's fact number four. There were numerous eyewitnesses. Starting on the first day, starting on that day, the resurrection day, that very day he came forth, Jesus appeared to the women. He appeared personally to Mary Magdalene, John 20. He appeared to certain other women. He appeared, uh, you know, those two disciples Luke 24, beginning in verse 13, walking to the road to Emmaus, he appeared to them. And then he appeared that night to the apostles, this time without Thomas. Okay. He made all these appearances just on that, on that first day of coming. He was very busy on that day 
that he came forth from the grave. But then there were 40 days more that Jesus was on earth. 40 days more. And he did all sorts of appearing. Okay, and we read about that this morning, 1 Corinthians uh, 15. But he appeared, he appeared uh, to the apostles with Thomas, going back to John 20. Okay, along about verse 26, you'll see Thomas is now in the meeting uh, about a week later after Jesus actually rose from the dead. Okay. Remember John 21, Jesus appeared to the disciples as they're fishing on the sea, and he's over there on the beach. He appears to them uh, then. He, and then you go down through the list there in 1 Corinthians 15. He appeared to 500 brethren at once. He appeared to Peter by himself at one time, appeared to James by himself. Paul said, and last of all, as someone untimely born, he appeared to me. Numerous appearances of Jesus. Think about the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay. Both Matthew and John were apostles, so they were eyewitnesses to all these accounts. What about Mark? Well, if you read 1 Peter 5.13, you see that Mark is called the son of Peter. In other words, it just means he was a very close companion to Peter. So Mark was able to get a lot of information right from Peter. And what about Luke? Well, we know about Luke. Okay. Luke begins his gospel in Luke 1, 1 through 4 by saying that he was going, he had sat down and he had listened to what others had said. And also he had made a careful investigation of all these matters. Plus Luke is a, was a physician. He was a doctor. He was a scientist. He was a historian. Okay. He would not pass on information without first thoroughly investigating what he had uh, heard and seen. There were numerous eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. The important part about this is that the empty tomb was indeed empty. But more than that, Jesus was seen again and again and again alive after he had been dead. He had been confirmed as being dead. Confirmed as being dead, but also very much confirmed that he was seen alive post-death. There were numerous witnesses. One of my favorite witnesses, yours too, yours too, is Mary, the mother of Jesus. She was a witness of everything from from pregnancy onward, she was a witness. She was there at the cross. She was a witness. She saw them take that spear and, and thrust it into the side of her son. She saw him nailed to the cross. She saw him up there hanging before the world. She saw his body as bloody as it could be from the whipping that he got before he ever got to the cross, she saw all of that. But we see her, Acts 1, 12 to 14, we see her assembled with the other disciples and praying. Why? Because she knew for sure that her son came forth from the dead. And then this fact, and we're going to finish up here. Fact number five. So fact... Fact one, Jesus actually died. Fact two, everybody knew where he was buried. Fact three, 
The tomb was found empty on that first day of the week. Fact number four, there were numerous eyewitnesses to the resurrection uh, occurrences. Fact number five, there was a dramatic change in his disciples. One verse here, Mark 16, verse 10. Just look at this. When the women come and report what they had seen and heard. Mark 16, 10 says, She went and told Mary, Mary Magdalene. She went and told those who had been with him. And what were they doing? They were mourning and weeping. Mark 16, verse 10. You see that? They were mourning and weeping. Jesus found, I think it's John 20, verse 19. Jesus, on the resurrection night, he finds his disciples under, under lock. They're locked in a room for fear. Okay. But later, we read in the book of Acts that they are not fearful anymore. They were once depressed men, now they are dedicated men. Okay. They were once full of fear, now they're full of faith. If we, we could take the time, we may, we may do this later, just read again and again how they preached the resurrection of Jesus with boldness and without fear. And so the dramatic change in the disciples points to the fact that all that Jesus did for us was truly true. We can build our faith on Him. I want us to think about two or three things before, as we close down here. Remember that the resurrection of Jesus is the very heart of our faith. It's not just something tacked on. The religion of Jesus is not about a few words that basically say, hey, uh, be kind to one another and, and be morally upright. And then if you want to, believe in the miracles of Jesus and believe in His resurrection. Okay? Resurrection is not something just tacked on at the end for a few radicals to believe. No, the miracle of the resurrection is at the very heart. Okay? Without Jesus' resurrection, there is no faith. It all collapses. Okay? Have you ever sat in a chair where one of the legs was partly broken and then it went on down with you? I had a friend just three or four years ago. He sat in, a, in an office chair that collapsed on him, and he had, he had serious health issues for about six months. Okay. And if Jesus did not come forth from the dead, then our faith completely collapses to the floor. Also think about this. The Lord invites us to think and reason with Him. To think and reason. A lot of people have a blind faith. But blind faith is not taught in, in God's Word. Blind faith is not taught in the New Testament. A lot of people look at it this way. They say, okay, I've got to stop thinking so I can start believing. That's not the way it is at all. You start believing when you start thinking with God. God invites us to think with Him. Okay. <clears throat> it's, it's becoming harder on people to do this. We must be even more
we must be even more aware of every part of Scripture because our society is going further away from the idea of thinking with God. Someone made the remark a while back that there's a lot of media-driven emotion. That's true. That's true. It used to be that a journalist's job was to arrive at a situation and say, well, what happened? What are the facts? Now, their job is more or less to say, well, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about this? Where someone's feelings and experience becomes more important than the very facts that are involved. We must be very much aware of the facts so that we can build our faith and help others see our Lord Jesus. I think about the Apostle Paul and how viciously he worked against Christ, against his disciples, against the Lord's church for several years. What was it that stopped him in his tracks? What was it that got him ready to, to as Ananias came to him, Acts twenty two sixteen, 16, now why do you tarry, arise and be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord? What got him to that point in life? It was Jesus appearing to him. It was the resurrected Jesus that made the big impact on Paul's life. And it can make the same impact on us Today. Will you come? Will you come to the Lord today? Will you come in simple gospel obedience? The Lord has laid the foundation for us. Now, if we will respond to His love by our love for Him, will you come this morning?